is I think he is the best creator of culture in our, in our sport today. I, I don't think it's even close. And the other thing, John, in today's age of NIL and transfer portal and, and your, your roster um, constantly turning over, I think the guys that can do it quicker are, are even more have a, have a greater advantage. And especially in our sport, we're losing guys to the draft. So coach is amazing at creating culture. Um, he, he, and you know, if culture is something he defines it as this, I believe uh, what we do, why, why we do it and how we do it. And that's pretty simple. That's what your culture is. And, and then the thing that he does so well is he, he holds everyone in the organization accountable to that culture. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking a job at Knicks. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, Don takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome to the show. Today, I have a guest for you that I think you're absolutely going to love. You might recognize the last name. You might not, but our guest today is one Chuck Box. Chuck Box is the current Director of Player Program Development at Texas A&M University. And this is going into year three, is that right? Yeah, year three, John. Yep. Going into year three. He's been a head coach uh, on all different levels for 25 years. Uh, Been a head coach on the high school level, on the college level, on the junior college level. Uh, Has a master record of 735, 735 wins, which is absolutely amazing. 326 losses. Um, Won six state championships at Jackson Prep, which is when, you know, we kind of crossed paths. He's the head coach at uh, Jackson Prep at the time, and, that was probably, you know, 15 years ago or so when we started going to church together. Um, and after that, became the head coach at Hartfield Academy, which was a private school right down the road. Has been the head coach at Freed Hardeman, which was where he graduated from. Has been the head coach at Itawamba Community College. Um, and has been on every level and is now, you know, made his way into the SEC. First, I would like to say thank you for taking the opportunity and the time to come on the show. Well, John, you know, I love to talk uh, coaching and I've never come out of a conversation with you where I wasn't better off. So whether we're recording this or not, I'm looking forward to talking a little coaching with you. And that's something that I love to do. So thanks for having me, man. It's a, it's an honor to be on this, on the show with you. Well, the first thing that, you know, I always think about when I think about you and I think about the time we spent together was, you know, we always talked about and shared information that could make each other better. You know, like you were and are a lifelong learner. You're somebody that's trying to be great at, you know, at what you do. And my first, this is my first question. I was listening to a podcast the other day and Eric Musselman, who is the basketball coach at Arkansas, talks, starts talking about, he likes to go visit football programs to learn more about 
you know, coaching, how to make himself better, how to, and his, his thought process was football coaches are farther along in some categories because they have larger numbers, they have more groups, they have this or that. So, you know, he was talking about programs that he went and studied and learned and watched. And, you know, I think back 15 years ago, 12 years ago, or whenever it was, the conversations we would have about you in the fall would take off and do the exact same thing. Why, you know, like a particular trip to Oregon or, you know, the different places you went, why did you do that? Why, how did you come by even, you know, thinking about that? Like, what was your thought process um, as probably as it relates to Musselman in Arkansas's uh, thought process? Well, I was always trying to gather information and learn and, you're right, man. Football coaches, to me, um, do it the best. And, you know, baseball kind of for a long time practiced backwards, John. They practice was real laid back, and then you got in the game and you got sped up. I think football's kind of had it figured out from the beginning. You practice game speed. When you get in the game, the game slows down. The other thing about football coaches is just time on task is so amazing. The ability to, to, to teach the fundamentals day in and day out. And then to practice what really matters. So that so that's that's why I've studied football coaches. But yeah, I don't know, John. It was almost 20 years ago. I thought, man, I, I, I'm going to all these clinics. I'm reading all these articles, and I'm trying to learn. And I think I read something about a coach visiting spring training one time. I said, man, that's a good idea. So what I did is I started reaching out to coaches, and every fall I would try to go somewhere different. And it was amazing. Anytime I would write somebody, I usually tried to find the ops guy or the development guy. And, and reach out to them. And what I found were coaches were so open, so hospitable. They wanted to have me there. So when I first started doing it, I paid my own way. I would go and I would spend two, three days, usually by myself. I would meet with the coaches. I would meet with the trainer. I would meet with the strength coach. I would meet with the equipment guy. Hey, how do you get grass stains out of uniforms? I mean, you name it. I would take pictures and any little idea that I could get that I could bring back and use in my program is what I was looking for. And then it started to evolve. I, I started budgeting the money. I, I, I convinced my, my administration that it was a great uh, form of, of player of, uh, of staff development. And so I started a line item. I would budget about 700 bucks, 750 bucks every year. And I would fly to Oregon. I would fly to, to South Carolina, Clemson. I mean, you name it, I've probably been there and I've learned so much. And then the fun part of it, and, you know, I call it uh, trying to run an SEC program on a TJ Maxx budget. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you take how do you take the ideas that you see out of Texas A&M, the best of the best, the big leagues of college baseball, and how do you adapt that to your program? And to me, that was fun. That was part of the uh, the allure of doing it, excitement of doing it. Is I was kind of beating the system, and I think something else it does, and, and a lot of your coaches will will appreciate this. I think it also. Uh, solidified or, or really gave me confidence to know that I was doing some of the things that um, that it took to, to run a successful program. The other thing I loved about it, it, as a high school coach, it allowed me to not forget what a really good player looks like. I think sometimes when you're a high school coach, you, you the longer you coach high school football, the further away you get from college football, maybe you don't know what a, what a college player looks like. And so it kind of helped remind me of the level of talent that Man, I, I have uh, so many wonderful memories. And then I, and then some guys started tagging along with me. I had a couple of buddies who were high school coaches, and they would fly out and meet me there. So it kind of became a, a thing where two or three of us would go do it. And the other thing that I did 
has always tried to go to the in-state schools. So for me in Mississippi, it always always try to hit uh, Southern Miss, uh, Mississippi State, or Ole Miss almost every year. And then I started doing something else, John. If we had an away football game near a junior college, I would try to drop in. And you know, if we were playing Lamar, then I might go to Meridian and watch Meridian practice. And um, one of my favorites is sneaking into an Oregon football practice when Chip Kelly was there. You you could you weren't supposed to go in there, but I found a way to kind of sneak through the bookstore and watch a practice. And I watched 20 minutes of an Oregon football practice and probably learned more about practice because their managers had on referee shirts. They didn't stop and teach during practice. It was fast paced. They videoed everything and then they would go back, watch the video, and then I have a teaching period the next day. And I kind of adopted that philosophy in baseball. So, man, I could talk about that all day. Some wonderful trips and it's one of the things I miss about being where I am right now. I don't, I don't get to do that. I still sure. would love to get out and watch other programs practice. Tell me, just g- give me a couple of examples of things that, you know, when you went to some of those places, um, a couple of the things like that you would bring back with you, you know, like you talked about uh, the practice, you know, but just give me a couple of examples of things that you could watch, learn and bring back and implement. Several years ago, I spoke at the American Baseball Coaches Association uh, National Convention, and this is what I talked about. I talked – the topic was mining for gold, and it was basically things that I had stolen from all these different places. Um, one of them, for instance, is as simple as this. I saw a magnetic bulletin board. Uh, I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen because I'd always seen the cork boards, and they get torn up and they look bad. So um, I, I called the guy, and he told me how much it was. It was like $200 for one board. So – I went down to the metal shop there in Flowood, found a guy. I said, hey, man, I want some uh, metal bulletin boards. And I think I ended up buying five of them for, for 40 bucks, you know, and I ordered some magnetic, magnetic uh, uh, magnets for the board off of Amazon. But stuff as simple as that and then as, as complex as, as dynamic stretching. I remember the first time that I ever really saw um, dynamic stretching to, to the point that everybody pretty much does it now. And I remember calling my dad, he's 83. I said, dad, I saw the coolest thing ever, man. I I saw this new way to stretch, you know, it's not static anymore. And he stopped for a minute. He goes, yeah, that's a lot like chopping wood and uh, jumping jacks. And, you know, we didn't reinvent, they've been doing this stuff forever, but um, just learning stuff like that, more better strength program. um, You know, how how to, how to program our guys for movement. practice all all types of practice stuff techniques but um and i could go on and on about all the things that i've learned but it's just really trying to figure out what um best suits your your players and your budget and the resources that you have and then try to make it happen one of the things that you know i find common hey i got one from you john well i got one from you what was that The, the wireless mic yeah I came to a football practice at Pearl and you were doing the wireless mic. And I thought it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Right. And so we went back and we did the wireless guitar mic. We did the headset um, because of where we practiced was really loud with the cars going by and they couldn't hear. So I got that one from you. Also, huh. uh, play, also the way you set up your periods, uh, we kind of adapted some of those ideas. So I got a couple of ideas from you, buddy. Well, that's great. You know, one of the things that I find you know, interesting is if, if you're willing to learn, you can learn something from anybody, you know, and a couple of things you said that probably flew under the radar was number one, when you started going and visiting, you started going on your own dime. So many folks in this world, you know, won't take the initiative to do it on their own, you know, and that's, 
you know, whatever. I mean, I still to this day will go take a trip on my own dime just because I have this desire to learn. I went 29 years in this profession and I take a trip to Alabama this past summer and I spend several days. And one of the things I come back with was how to call roll more efficiently. So in the summertime, I watch Mountain Brook go out, call roll with 150 athletes in less than two minutes. And it was as simple as this. Everybody stood in the line. There was one guy responsible for roll call and everybody stood with two thumbs up. If the guy that was supposed to be on the right was there, thumbs up. If the guy that was supposed to be on the left was there, thumbs up. And the guy just walked until he saw a downward thumb. When he saw a downward thumb, his buddy said, who's missing? And he wrote the name down. It was unbelievable. And I'm just like. Light bulb moment. Light bulb oh moment. God. <laughs> I had to travel 800 miles to learn how to take roll. But I thought. That's awesome. You know, like, it has been an issue for me. Like, it has. And that's. Yeah. yeah. You know, but that's why we go. And it may be something as simple as roll call. Or it may be something, you know, as big as, you know, a practice schedule or something like that. But, you know, I think being willing to learn, being eager to learn is a common theme amongst people, you know, that are ultra successful. Tell me this, you've been very successful and, you know, you in high school, extremely successful state championships on the junior college level, extremely successful, you know, like what are a couple of the you know, skills that you possess that have led to that success because all of those places weren't winning when you got there. You know, all of them were not in a very good situation and you were able to flip some of those and really raise the bar. Like, you know, what are, what are a couple of the, you know, skills that you feel like, you know, helped you in, in being able to deliver that to that school? That's a great question. I think the number one thing is vision, um, being able to, to, to create craft a vision and to be able to sell that vision every day to anybody that'll listen. Uh, I used to say, sell that vision to the stakeholders, but you've got to, you've got to create a compelling vision. You've got to constantly sell it. I think the second thing, as I've gotten older, this has become more important to me is to, um, recruit, you re everybody recruits, even if you're in a, a public school, you, you, you have what you have, but you, you recruit what I call OKGs, our kind of guys. You get the people that fit what you're trying to do into your system. It's the old concept of getting the right people on the bus, but surrounding yourself with great people. And again, you got to be creative with that. Uh, I know you've done that where you are, you know, people say, well, I only have one full-time assistant. Well, you can go get other people to help your program. So how do you get people that want to be a part of your program? And once you start getting that, then you start attracting the type of people that you want. So getting the people on the bus is very important. And then for me, just getting uh, being able to go out and get the resources necessary for your people to be successful. And again, you got to get creative with some of that. But, um, you know, getting getting the things that guys need to win. And then after that, I think it becomes uh, setting up a, a just an elite player development program where your guys are going to continue to get better. And then at the end of the day, it's just about showing up and trying to outwork everybody else. And, you know, that was early in my career. That was my thing. I was going to outwork. You. I was going to have a better vision. I was going to be more passionate and I was going to outwork. You. And as I've gotten smarter um, and more efficient, I still want to outwork people. But 
I try to work smarter and not harder and, and, and accomplish the same thing. But for, for, I guess for me to boil it down, it was vision, um, passion, and then just work ethic at, at everywhere that I've ever been. And, and as I've gotten older, it's become a little bit more about, you know, the people and the relationships and um, being transformational instead of transactional. I know we talk a lot about that, but that's something that's become more and more important to me. But it really just comes down to creating a vision and selling the vision and, and having a tremendous amount of passion and, and going to work. It's not it's not yeah. a complicated formula. Sure. And, you know, a lot of people will com uh, complicate it. And to me, it doesn't matter if, you know, like I believe you could go to Jackson Prep, you could go to Nixa, you could go to Pearl, you could go to Bank of the Ozarks, or you could go wherever you wanted to and probably be ultra successful because it takes what it takes, you know, like it takes what it takes to be successful and selling the vision, you know, like I'm, you know, pumped that you said that because, you know, even before the days of everybody teaching culture intentionally, you know, coming up with a vision, Bobby Hall and Marcus Bowles created a vision, you know, two of the greatest high school football coaches in the state of Mississippi, who I had the luxury to work for, they created a vision. And man, you want to talk about somebody that sold it, you know, that left tackle at Wayne County that was 165 pounds at the you know, largest school classification football program in the, in the state thought he was 6'4", 295, because that's what the vision was for him and that program. And, you know, nothing great can take place without that, first and foremost, you know. And that's, yep. uh, you know, one of the first things that, you know, I did coming here was to create a vision big enough that, you know, hopefully some people laugh when you tell it to them, but then – you know, back it up with the beliefs, the way you walk, the way you talk, you know, like it matters. And, you know, Bobby Hall and probably uh, Marcus Bowles as well. And, you know, they 100 percent believe they're going to win every game they're ever in. You know, that's just, you know, they don't have an issue selling a vision. So, you know, I thought that was awesome. Um, and outwork folks, you know, like just being willing to outwork other folks is a necessity. Let me ask you this, you know, like. Coach Schlossnagel. Is that right? Schlossnagel. Yeah. Coach Schlossnagel. Yeah. Ultra successful. Okay. Ask the same question. You know, now this is, you know, in your opinion, what has made him as successful as he has been? You know, what are, what are the skills that he possesses to, because like in year one at Texas A&M, y'all like go to the college world series. I don't think they had been very good. The programs flipped like, you know, right away, like, and he's been successful everywhere he's been, you know, like what, what is, what does he possess that gives him the ability to do that? Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian Caps can help protect that helmet investment. Well, co Coach is the best. Uh, future Hall of Famer. I think he's going to go down as, as one of the best um, baseball coaches in college baseball. And super super successful at TCU and um, Texas A&M had had a lot of success had been to a lot of regional super regionals been to some college world series but had been down for a couple of years and 
you know, when coach came in here, um, that, you know, the first thing that he did is, is he, he created a vision. He, he, he started talking about, um, what, what this program was about. I think that was the number one thing. He surrounded himself with good people. He, he hires great people. Um, he goes out and he gets the resources necessary for you to do your job. There's no question about it, whatever it takes to, to make our players better. Um, and then he gets out of the way and he lets you do, do your job. But I think the two things that separate coach from everybody else is I think he is the best creator of culture in our, in our sport today. I, I don't think it's even close. And the other thing, John, in today's age of NIL and transfer portal and, and your, your roster um, constantly turning over, I, I think the guys that can do it quicker are, are even more, have a, have a greater advantage. And, especially in our sport where we're losing guys to the draft. So coach is amazing at creating culture. Um, he, he, and you know, if culture is something he defines it as this, I believe uh, what we do, why, why we do it and how we do it. And that's pretty simple. That's what your culture is. And, and then the thing that he does so well is he, he holds everyone in the organization accountable to that culture and it reflects itself in everything that we do. And whether it be the locker room, um, you know, the thing he talks about, we want it to be recruit ready and don't ready. So if we bring someone there at 3 a.m. or 3 p.m., it needs to look the same way. How does the batting cage look? He, we have a we call it classroom excellence. How do you how do you behave in the classroom? Zoom excellence when you're on a Zoom call. I think he's even used the word bulletin board excellence, how you hang things on the bulletin board. So the point is, everything matters when it comes to culture. And you have to hold players accountable to that every single day. So I, I think those are the two things, that, the culture and the accountability. And then the other thing with him um, that's so amazing is he never stops thinking about ways to get guys better. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm a great baseball man, and I think I, I have a good baseball mind. And then I get around him, and he's thinking about things that I've never thought about. But it's always about – how can we do simple better? How we can how can we convince our guys to be the best they can be? And it just never stops, whether it's a movie or a podcast. He is the ultimate lifelong learner. Um, I'm so fortunate to work for him. He's an awesome boss. I've learned so much. But I, I think that's what separates him, the, the culture piece, the accountability piece. Um, and then the, the willingness to, to do whatever it takes. And you're right. We, you know, we've been lied to. People say you have a choice. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. If you want to be great, like you said, it takes what it takes. And coach just, he never stops, man. And it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to watch him. And then the other thing that, that I think he doesn't get as much credit for as he deserves, he's a tremendous, tremendous um, teacher of the fundamentals of the game. Um, from infield play to base running, uh, to overall offense, he he sees the game like nobody I've ever been around. He sees things that I've never even thought to see before. So I think those are three or four things that, that separate him and, and kind of make him who he is. And then having said that, I know you've invested a lot of time into this. He is um, unbelievably invested into the mental game. We invest uh, a lot of time and a lot of resources. I know you've worked with Brian Kane some and Brian – uh, does a lot of work with our team. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people hear mental game and they think of lavender and meditation and breathing, which and that's a part of it. But when I talk about mental game, it's a lot more than that. And I think coaches really invested. We invest more than any other college baseball program in the country. And it's not even close uh, when it comes to, to the mental game. And I think it 
when when the, the, there's no such thing as a big game, but when you get to the end of the year and you're playing in the postseason, his teams have been really, really good. And I, I don't think there's that's a coincidence. I think it goes back to the mental preparation that we do from day one. Uh, we have How to University day one before we touch a ball, before we hit. We're talking about routines and and how to how to have a routine every day, how to have a routine when you go to the plate, how to release a negative thought. It's some of the it's one of the first things that we do before we get, even get into the game. So I would add that the fifth thing would just be his investment in understanding of uh, the mental game of baseball. Man, that is awesome. That that is one of the things that we've jumped into here you know, is the mental performance world because I don't feel like most folks are doing that, you know, like trying to find an edge, you know, in high school sports or in collegiate sports or anywhere else, you know, like I just feel like that's an edge, you know, I feel like that that mind drives everything else, you know what I mean? And I know for 100%. a fact that there are major universities close to us that are doing almost nothing, you know, when it comes to the mental performance training of their athletes. And I feel like, you know, that is somewhere that we can uh, get an edge. Let me ask you this. And I'm well, one, 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 of the th- one of the things that Coach Slot says that I think is awesome is and, and you can't control your performance until you control yourself. And the other thing, and he says a lot of amazing things, but one of the things I love that he says is he tells our players, you are the CEO of your career. Mm-hmm. you're the chief executive officer of your career. And the thing I ask guys is when you get to a certain point, the, the talent level is the same. What's going to separate you? What's going to be the separator? Well, I think the mental game along with nutrition, hydration, sleep, recovery, but the mental game I would put number one, and I'm convinced, I, I'm, I'm 100% con- convinced that the reason that we went to Omaha two years ago was because of our investment in the mental game. I, I don't think there's there's any doubt whatsoever because you know two things are going to happen in every contest john whether it's football basketball baseball you're going to face adrenaline and adversity it's going to happen it's going to happen so how do you do you have a failure recovery mechanism how are you going to how are you going to respond because you know what it's going to happen it's not if it's when sure and then and then when you get to the postseason and the games get quote-unquote bigger uh, we've been lied to. We say, "Hey, you got to step up." You can't step up. You sink to your lowest <laughs> level of training. Right. So how do you how do you control that adrenaline? And if you have a routine, you have something you can go back to. That's a separator. And if you're truly the CEO of your career, how are you going to separate yourself? And what's ironic is there's so much information out there about it now. It's absolutely free. Doesn't even cost anything right. if you take the time to invest in it. So I'm like you. I don't understand why coaches don't invest more in it than they do. No idea, you know. And I'm I'm, I'm grateful that they don't. You know what I'm saying? It might make a life. Yeah, it gives you that edge. Yeah, you that's know, right. I'm glad they don't. Well, that's you know. I'm gonna give you an example of mental performance. I think because we use a lot of uh, Brian Kane stuff, which I know is who y'all have invested a lot of uh, time and energy into. And we would this summer we talk a mental performance skill every week. We just took one of the 10 pillars and we taught it. So things like intensity management, emotional mastery, like we taught our kids. So we go out week one and and in our kids, we've, we've talked about being able to manage your energy, you know, like you only have so much energy, like 
Let's don't go blow through a bunch of energy in the locker room, bouncing around. Let's don't go. Let's save our energy to when we need our energy. Well, we go out there week one, man, it's 144 degrees. And man, we play pretty good. We have one kid that cramps, but he's a kid that played both ways. The only kid that plays both ways. And, you know, but we were in really good shape. Well, the next week rolls around and the ninth grade plays. Well, the ninth grade hadn't been through a lot of uh, mental <laughs> performance, right? So I'm in the locker room like two hours before the game. The radio's blaring. They are bouncing off the walls. Like they've got war paint on. Their faces are serious. Like, And I'm just looking at them just kind of giggling. Well, I go outside, game kicks off, and we're about halfway through the second quarter and kids start to cramp, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, you play yeah, three quarters in the locker room. <laughs> it works. It works. But it works. It, it is a fact, man, that you can, you know, that that is a key to, uh, you know, the performance men, is mental performance training. And I'm, I'm all in on that. And I'm hoping other people don't get in on it because I also think, this, <laughs> you know, like let, let, let's fast forward, you know, the young man that you're coaching right now, you know, Adversity is coming in baseball and in life. Well, somebody that has been trained, you know, 12 years from now, you know, when his wife runs off and leaves him for another man and leaves the child with him, how's he going to handle that? You know, like yeah, adversity yeah. is going to come in life too. And I think the skills are 100% transferable, you know, like that. Oh, is, no doubt. 100%. Uh, yeah something that will help them in life as well. Let's go back. Let me, let me backtrack. Cause I had a question I wanted to, you know, like culture um, culture is what you do, why you do it, how you do it. Right. That's, that's yeah. you know, as I was taking notes, how, like if you were to leave there and go somewhere and, you know, let's just play pretend and you took a head job, how do you intentionally build culture at a place? You know, like it doesn't happen by chance, right? Like how, what, what kind of things would you do to produce the culture that you would want? You know, like what type yeah, of, I, do you, have you done I think in the that's past a, and have you picked up since you've been there? Great, great question. I, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to, you have to create your mission statement and, and it has to be something that's more than just words on a wall. Um, and then I think it's also, you know, important to have a vision. So if, if we accomplish our mission statement, what's that going to look like? So for me, um, let's, you know, I love our mission statement here is to help each and every player um, become the very best selfless version of themselves. Mm. Um, so if, if I, if I do that, the, the vision for my, my vision for my program um, would be that we're going to provide a quality experience for our families. We're going to compete for championships and, we're going to use baseball to help our guys grow academically, athletically, socially, and spiritually. So that's, I think I would do something very similar to that. So to try to help each and every member of our organization to be the very best version of themselves. And then I would create core covenants. I, you know, I know this is coach speak or whatever, but I would create core covenants. And, you know, for me, it would depend on where I was, you know, sometimes you can use the, the, the mascot acronym sure. uh, for us here. It's RELIS. Um, which is the school's core covenants, which is respect, excellence, leadership, loyalty, integrity, and selfless service. And then what I would do is I would give a definition to each one. That was exactly what Coach Schlossnagel's done. Everybody does that, though, right? <laughs> That's what everybody does. So now 
how do those how do those core covenants manifest themselves every day, socially, spiritually, academically, athletically, to drive the mission statement? Now it it's, it comes off of a piece of paper, and it begins to manifest itself. So you begin to to teach the guys what the core covenants are by definition. You you make sure that if you stop one of them in the hallway in your in your in your facility, they can give you the definition of it. It's got to be simple. Very succinct, very clear. But then if you're going to take it to the next level, how do those core covenants that drive your mission, how do they look in the, in the classroom? So for us at Hartfield, it was PSU. The first one was passion. So what does passion look like academically? What is, and I let the kids define that. What does passion look like athletically? What does passion look like in your spiritual life? What does passion look like in your social life with your family? You know, what is excellent? So you you show them how those core covenants manifest themselves every day to drive your mission. And, and, and you just look for accountability, accountability, accountability opportunities to teach those core covenants. And then the other thing that you do is every decision that you make when you get up in the morning as it reflects your program is made with that mission statement in mind and those core covenants in mind. So I think for us, and this is what's hard. I did a, I had to do a, the mental game talk in camp this summer. And I think I did 24. I think we had 24 times. I gave the mental game talk and I had a PowerPoint and I, and, and I would, I would give this, this, this talk just constantly. And I would always ask them when we got to body language, who has the worst body language? It's your coaches. And a lot of times we're we're telling the kids to live out these core values and do these things, but we're not modeling the behavior. So hmm. I've got to model the behavior of those core covenants as it reflects the mission statement. And I've got to hold my staff accountable to do the same thing. So I, I think it's just an everyday process. And then the thing I've learned about high school coaches, somebody asked me this question one time, can you ever ease up? And the answer is no. No, culture doesn't take a day off. Now, when you inherit a program and it's really hard and you, you, you've, you've got to be really tough, um, it's hard. It's, it, there's, it takes a lot of energy. And, and eventually you turn the corner and you get kids that are – and your program starts to become uh, coaching-fed and player-led, and, and you can back off a little bit on that. But you can never – culture never takes a day off. And so I think – you know, to answer your question very clearly is mission, the mission, the vision of your program, the core covenants to drive it. How does it manifest itself in the areas of your life and show them tangible ways, encourage your coaching staff to model those same behaviors. And then every decision that you make in regards to your program is driven by those core covenants to fulfill your mission statement. I think if you do those things, then culture becomes a living, breathing thing. Um, and then here's another one. Give your players an opportunity to teach it. Now let them teach each other and teach you. And you can do that. One of the things that Bron does is he creates boat crews. And I love the idea of having boat crews, you know, five, five, six-man teams where you have a leader. So now there, there, there's some accountability and there's some teachable moments within that and you're also, it's kind of a twice-blessed situation. You're, you're empowering a young man to be a leader 
And then maybe you've got a younger guy in there who's learning how to lead. And then it just keeps manifesting itself. That kid works his way up to being a leader of a boat crew. And then you got another crew coming in. And all of a sudden, you, you have this beautiful I – mean, I'm getting chill bumps talking about it because you have this beautiful thing that's starting to happen where you have a player-led team. And the best teams I've had, the most fun I've ever had coaching, John, I said, hey, boys, here's the keys to the car. I, I'm going to sit over here in the dugout. I'm going to make sure you get to the game. You guys go play. That is that's and I've had three teams like that, three teams in 31 years wow. where I could just sit back as a head coach where I sure. could sit back and say, hey, man, here's the keys, boys. Let's go. And that's man, you're talking about some fun stuff. It's amazing. But I, I think that that's how you make culture more than just a word on a T-shirt or, or a sign in a, in a in a facility is by, by showing how it manifests itself in every area of their life on a daily basis, man. I think that's absolutely incredible. And I think, you know, one thing you said that's probably false, and I've I've made the same statement before. Everybody has core values or core covenants and <laughs> vision. And I don't I really don't think they do. Like you don't I, think they do. Well, maybe I, not. <laughs> I still think, you know, that we're in the minority in the big picture, you know. Um, but and then there are a lot that do say have them but they are exactly what you said they're words that they put on a wall or they are they're not something that is taught modeled um you know now honestly like if you took over a lumber company tomorrow or you took over a restaurant wouldn't you do the exact same thing 100 percent. i you know that's one thing that coach talks about when he talks to recruits when he introduces the mission statement he talks about any successful organization has a mission statement. They know they know where they want to go, and it needs to be simple. That's the other thing I see. And some I saw one the other day. It's like four paragraphs, and your people aren't going to really learn that, you know. It's, so I think it's got to be something that's simple and it's clear and it's relatable. And then your core covenants have to they have to drive the mission statement. That's the other thing. Sometimes they don't make sense and go together. And um, but yeah, absolutely. Anything that I'm I'm actually um, in the process of trying to develop a personal mission statement. I had one years ago and kind of got away from it a little bit. So I'm kind of going back to that. And, and I, at, one, at one point in our family, we had a family mission statement. Sure. Um, we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit, but uh, yeah, man, I just, I, I really believe in it. And I'm passionate about it because I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how you could, I, I, it's like people that don't watch college football on a Saturday. I just, I, when I hear people don't watch college football on Saturday, I'm shocked. I'm like, <laughs> you don't watch college football on a Saturday. I feel right. the same way about mission statements. I'm like, you don't have a mission statement. So uh, I, I I think you got to have one. Sure. And, it, you know, in Nixon, Missouri, if you ask our players, probably a large majority of them would spit out, you know, we want to play football in such a manner that we bring pride to our family, our school and our community. You know, that's, so awesome. that's why we play. Like we want to make that's other awesome. people proud you know when they show up at the game that you know because of the way we play the game you know and they can tell you that you know and that's our vision to be the best program in the state and to build leaders and we are intentional about both and our kids can tell you let me ask you this you know like do y'all use you know i know you did in the past i don't know you know about texas a&m do y'all use classroom time yeah, we do. Uh, Coach is very, um, very clear about that. He, we, we actually developed a room that was kind of a player's lounge 
uh, and turned it into a classroom. And there's three very distinct areas in our facility. There's the clubhouse. That's the players. That's not the coach's area. There's a, a there's a lounge and a kitchen where our guys eat. And then the classroom, that's that's for teaching. That's where teaching takes place. For me in high school, one of the best things, I'm glad you asked that question, because maybe the best thing that I did as a high school coach, um, we were sitting around, you know, a lot of a lot of things are born are born from failure. And uh, we're, we're sitting around one day talking about, hey, we don't have any leaders. And I said, well, what have we done about it? And I remember the coaches looking at me and I was like, well, have we taught them how to be a leader? Hey, we want you to be a leader, son. Okay, coach, how do I be a leader? So we developed a program called Success Leaves Clues. We call it the SLC. It's probably um, one of the, the my favorite things that I did as a high school coach. And so I went to our principal, Jim DeLauder at the time, and I said, Jim, we had homeroom three days a week at Hartfield. And I said, Jim, I, I want my baseball players during Hartfield. And he looked at me like no teacher has ever asked for a homeroom. Are you crazy? I said, no, I want my guys. So we had all our players, ninth through 12th grade. We had them three days a week. We had them for about 30, 32 minutes. Then I put together an advisory board. So I had men and women from the community, very strategically uh, picked men and women, insurance salesman, investment broker, a housewife, uh, a, a bank president, um, people who served in his advisory committee. I had a former player and I had a teacher rep and I usually had a, a, a player on the, on the committee, the advisory board. And we would meet in June and they would help me identify topics that were relevant to teenage boys. And they would help me recruit these speakers in to our SLC classroom. So it was the coolest thing ever. We brought in people to talk about how to treat a woman, investment 101, racism, uh, how to change a tire. We had a guy from a local clothing store that came in and brought ties for all 30 of our kids, taught them how to tie a tie. You should wear a brown belt with brown shoes, how to present themselves. We had it was amazing. The topics that we were, we did it for three years and the topics were all over the board. Uh, you know, seven seconds to a good impression. And Amanda Box did that. Eight seconds, eight steps to a great handshake. Um, then we even brought in a third grade teacher to teach our guys how to write a letter because there was guys that really didn't know how to write a letter, how to address an envelope. The last Monday of every month was Appreciation Monday. So we brought letterhead in. Guys had to write appreciation letters and we mailed it to them. So I saw English teachers, John, get a letter and cry and just cry because the problem kid who she'd had trouble with was the one that wrote her note saying how much he loved her and appreciated her. And then maybe the next Monday it might be you got to write somebody, a former coach or maybe your, your, your minister or your parents. And, and the other aspect of that is we, we said, okay, if you don't have a topic, you come in and you talk about what made you successful. And the only the only thing I give them is you have 17 minutes and you can't suck. So that, that, that's how, how are you successful? <laughs> so like Ben Craddock, Craddock Oil came in talked about success. Um, we had a secret service person come in. We had coach Hall in coach Hall came and spoke to my group one time. It was amazing. Now Richard Williams, the basketball, former basketball coach at Mississippi state. So the other aspect of it is we created a mentor program. So we talked to our guys about how to choose a mentor. So they had to pick a mentor. So every player on our team had a mentor. We had a breakfast the last, uh, I think it was the last Tuesday in October at Chick-fil-A, donate food. And I brought in a speaker and he talked to him about what it was like to be a mentor. And then we had a, a day in the spring where we honored the mentors. And then we had every upperclassman 
had, we assigned a mentee to our upperclassmen. So they were being mentored and they were mentoring someone else. And it, it was one of the best things that we ever did. The fall was all life skills and leadership. That was, it was, that was the objective to, to teach life skills and leadership. When we got closer to the season, then that became the time when we would talk about bunt coverages or we would watch video right. from the video fit. But I still about once every two weeks would bring someone in. Um, and you got to be careful about who you bring into your team. I, I'm, sure. I'm not just going to let anybody speak to my team. So there were people that I knew or people sure. that, that we vetted. Chip Henderson, the, the pastor there, gave one of the best talks ever about uh, men and women, about how to treat a lady. He said, can I, can I, can I close the door? And he closed the door and he, he talked to him pretty good, you know? And so I, I just, and it was a twice blessed thing too, because then when the people came in to speak, you know, we, we were very strategic. We had assigned seats, the, the upperclassmen sat on the outside, the younger guys were in the middle. They had to seat, sit a certain way. They had a notebook. They had to take notes. We actually brought someone to teach them how to take notes. So when people would come in and speak, they were blown away. They were like, I cannot, and this is, um, and we had people quite frankly that became donors because they loved what we were doing. They thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, and, and they would ask to come back and speak, you know? And so we would have some people that would be uh, repeat, repeat performers, but what it was, what it was doing for us, it was us being intentional about helping them become a leader and develop life skills. We, I think we had one, how to change a flat tire. Cause I had guys that didn't know how to do that. Sure. The other thing that we did in that time period is we had peer to peer teaching. So I, I put them in uh, uh, eight teams and I assigned a successful team. So like the 1985 bears, you know, the 19, uh, whatever it was, 95 Yankees. And they had to do a PowerPoint presentation on um, and I gave them a criteria why that team was successful. What led to their success? Did they have adversity? How did they overcome the adversity? Um, we had them present our core covenants. Uh, that was another thing that we did. And then we have something in our program when I was a high school coach, words we use. It's basically the language of your program. And so they would, I would assign them words and they would have to, you know, in other words, one of the words that we use is what you permit, you promote. What does that mean? And so they had to, you know, talk about what that means. So the, so our common language. So it was also an opportunity then for them to teach the group. And it was also an opportunity for a young man to get in front of a group of people and become comfortable speaking. So there was a lot of parts to it, uh, but it was a beautiful thing and something that if I ever uh, am a head coach again, that I will 100% do. And I've got some ideas to make it even better now, but uh, I know that's a long answer, but I'm, that's, I'm so passionate about that because it was so impactful uh, in our program. Man, I think that is unbelievable. And as somebody who, you know, was coaching five miles from where you coached, you know, for your last 10 or 15 years, I know that every single bit of that was being done, you know, and there was so much of that that, you know, rubbed off on me because of the conversations we'd have at church, you know, like because you brought successful people in to talk to your kids, you know, like I started bringing in, you know, speakers at Pearl, you know, I, Chip Henderson was, is still yep. to this day one of my favorites, you know, yeah. um, and one thing I learned is this, you know, like, and, you know, obviously the people that were brought in were successful at whatever they were doing, but like Oscar Miskelly, right. I mean, Miskelly's yep. furniture, yep. you know, like the question, Oscar, tell us 
how you've become successful. You know, like, and it is, I mean, it's, it is what it is. It takes what it takes. Like nobody ever stood up there and said, well, you know, like my dad was rich and he gave me the company and <laughs> that's not the way it works. You know, like, so I was it amazing. Like, it's was amazing, John, that it's amazing though, that it's almost the same answer every time. Yes. It's, 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 it's unbelievable the way they answer that question. And again, that's why we named it success leaves clues. Sure. Um, because it, it does. And I, again, man, it's just, and if anybody's listening and they want to reach out, I, you know, I share that information. I, I actually shared that with two people today. I had two people. One of my jobs here uh, at Texas A&M as a director of player and program development is, is I'm the, the, the high school liaison. So I'm always willing to help high school coaches. So uh, I, I'm, I love that program. I'm passionate about it. I'd be happy to share it if anybody's listening and wants that information. Tell us this, because I, I, I was sitting here trying to, take notes as you went and it was like it was like rolling well past me you know i'll have to rewind and you know and i'm gonna say there's a lot of folks that are listening to that thinking man i have got to be better like i've got to do a better job my kids deserve better if they would like to get you know the program the success leaves clues deal tell them tell them how they can reach out to you email or however yeah shoot, shoot me an email i'm a pretty simple cbox c-b-o-x at athletics.tamu.edu. So cbox at athletics.tamu.edu. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to share. That's one of the things that I love um, is sharing stuff that I – most of the stuff I share is not so much stuff from Texas A&M, but stuff from sure. – um, I, you know, and anytime I do something like this, John, anytime I present or I speak, I always want to give the people that are listening something they can use tomorrow. Sure. Whether they're an eighth grade coach, a junior co JV coach, high school coach, I, I, and I want to I want to give them things that they can use and 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 wherever they are. So that's that's my goal anytime I'm on something like this. Well, I, man, I really appreciate that, and I'll put that email in the uh, show notes. Um, awesome. Over with, and I appreciate you being willing. Um, and you know, have done a fantastic job. Let me ask you this. Um, yeah. This is a question I, I was wanting to ask. You didn't know this was coming, but <laughs> having known you, okay, like at I think two separate occasions, you're coaching baseball and you get out of baseball and get into another line of work, but only for like a year and then you get back into baseball, right? Yeah. Twice? Yeah. To, uh, to, and my to wife, both times Amanda told me not to do it. Yep. And uh, I did it anyway. But the first time I was coaching at Frida Hardeman and uh, I had gone back, I was there and left and went back. And um, man, I just, I, I was really frustrated. And, and um, our athletic director was retiring. And I had someone who was kind of a third party, a, ma a major donor, um, say, hey, man, you, you could be the AD here. And so I had young children and I thought about, you know, maybe that's a better life, sure. more, more money, less on the road all the time. And so I went through the interview process. A lot of people don't know this. I went through the interview process and really thought I was going to going to get the job and uh, end up not getting the job. They hired somebody else. They hired somebody that they ended up firing like a year and a half later. It was it was a mess. But through all that, I had some development people reach out to me and say, hey, look, would you be interested in being an assistant AD for athletic development? Would you? be interested in raising money. And I think at the time um, I was maybe looking for a way out of coaching, maybe running from it a little bit, also thinking about my future and uh, maybe my earning potential down the road. Yeah. And 
<laughs> so I, I took the job and um, it was not great. I did it about the time the economy tanked for the first time. Um, I, I was working for an athletic director that didn't really want me in that position. And, and they, like I said, they fired him a year yeah. and a half later, never should have hired him in the first place. And, um, I really, I really just became pretty miserable and realized that, man, I, I need to be a coach. Um, I, th that's what I need to be doing. And, uh, it was pretty evident to me that, that that was the case. And, um, I had a college opportunity that I thought was going to work out and it kind of fell through at the last minute, still a devastating thing for me. And, um, so I just began to look at high school and I wrote 47 high schools. I remember the exact number. I wrote 47 high schools and it was, um, schools that, uh, had, you know, mostly private schools that were really committed to, to, to baseball, to athletics, um, in a place where I wanted to live. And, um, there were a few people that didn't hire me. Um, one of them was a school in Jackson that, um, we beat several times for state championships. So it was kind of cool. Um, uh, but, uh, I had a couple of connections at prep and I, I think prep is still the, the best private base. I think it's the best sure. baseball job in the state. And I had an opportunity to go there and my kids were young. So high school baseball was a little, was attractive to me because I, I was going to be home a little bit more. So I got back in, but man, those two years raising money was the best thing that ever happened to me, John, because you know, that's how life is. You, everything prepares you for something later in life, but I really learned how schools were ran. Right. <laughs> I was behind the curtain. I was behind. I got to sit in on a lot of high level meetings. I got uh, the president was a good friend of mine. And I learned some things that a lot of people don't learn about how schools are ran. And it really kind of changed the way I viewed um, earning potential and, and my value and my worth to a school. Um, I understood a little bit about negotiating. And then I also learned this, John, I don't always know what the question is but I always know what the answer is. It's money. And I knew if you could figure out how to generate it and, and raise it, then you were going to put yourself in a different category. So that prepared me for that. The second time, um, man, I was just, uh, I had coaching fatigue. I think, I think sometimes places like Jackson prep, you have a shelf life. And um, I kind of felt like I was there and I got approached about an opportunity to coach travel baseball and it was the stupidest decision I ever made, quite frankly. <laughs> and um, I made it, and I realized pretty quickly that it was a bad choice. And I had a had an opportunity. The president at, at prep at the time uh, gave me an opportunity to work as kind of an assistant athletic director. And my daughter was a senior, so that kind of got me through that year because uh, travel baseball is a wild, wild west, man. And um, But that year I didn't coach, again, might have been the best thing that ever happened to me because I wish every coach, including you, I wish every coach out there could take a one-year sabbatical and just be able to go out and watch people and, and really watch other programs and really think about how you run a program, you know, and, and I, I was able to do that. I was able to I actually went to TCU and I, I got to spend a weekend sitting in the dugout and going in team meetings with, with Coach Slosh and one of my real dear friends, Bill Moziello, and it allowed me to kind of go back and reshape um, how I believe and what I believe in coaching. And and so when I came back, um, I was so much better off because I had done that. So, you know, I, those are those are two times when I got out that looking back, I probably shouldn't have. But had I not done that, 
I don't think I would have learned the things that I've learned, but I'll tell you this, never say never, but it also showed me that, you know, I'm a coach and I need to be coached and I need to be, I need to be involved in, um, you know, young, young men and leading and, and, and impacting lives of people. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's who I am. So, but I'll tell you this, I love being a high school coach and I love high school coaches. I could have been, I, I, I had finally gotten somewhere where I could see myself being there forever. Sure. I loved it. And Hartfield Academy, uh, I needed Hartfield in my life a lot more than they needed me. And it, 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 it impacted me in so many ways. And I love those people there, but, um, it had it not been for Jim Slosnagel and an SEC program, I never would have left. And I didn't want I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to just go coach for anybody in college. I mean, there's only a few people that I would really want to work, work for. And he was one of them. And it was, it was just too good opportunity to say no, but I didn't leave because I didn't like high school coaching. I, I sure. loved it. I loved it. And I had really created, um, I, I think my last two years there, I had found Nirvana in terms of the rhythm of the year, which is something that sure. was so hard for me. And I, I had finally captured that and really had a good, blend of 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 work life and um you know if it hadn't have been for texas a&m jim Schlossnagel and the sec i would i would still be doing that and and be a very proud high school coach well the reason i ask is you you are a coach you know like you i'm a coach man 100 football basketball baseball water polo like you are a coach you know so i, I can't was i can't curious. i couldn't coach water polo i, I can't tread water for that long man <laughs> I don't I'm know if I could coach football. You, you guys, you guys yell too much. Football, you got to yell when you're a football coach. Like, well, I'm gonna be honest with you. The yelling <laughs> is overrated. Like the yelling, it is overrated. Okay, <laughs> that's a part of football that I heard Urban Meyer say this: um, that the louder one yells, the more they let everybody know they have no idea what they're doing. You know, I, 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 lo- I love. I love. There that. are some that's people like that are high yeah. maintenance and they are yeah. loud. Yeah, but yeah, you know that's that's not part of. That's really not part of our arsenal. Uh, well, I just yeah, and the basketball. There's yeah, there's no way I can coach. Yeah, I, yeah, I I could. I love football. Football. I love football. You know, I love football. I'm a football sure. junkie, man. Love it. All right. Well, we we are. Uh, I've I've taken a ton of your time. I want to ask a couple questions. Sure. Yeah, I'm good, man. To end with, and maybe um, we can do this again sometime. What's uh, one or two favorite books you've ever read, or most impactful? I think good to great, maybe the best book I've ever read. Um, just, just amazing. Uh, I think it's a, it's a business book, but it's, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a coaching book. Um, I think that's probably uh, my number one. Um, there's another book that a lot of people d- don't know about and you can't, you can barely uh, find it, but Bill Walsh, um, wrote a book and somebody told me it's, it's worth about 600 bucks, um, okay. online, but it's, uh, it's his system book, not the, sure. not the book that everybody reads, but, and I, and I can't, um, I don't think it's finding a winning edge. I can't remember, but it, it literally has, it literally has every meeting, team meeting, personnel meeting. It has a job description for everyone in the organization. It has plays, it has practice schedules. That is probably one of my prized possessions, a hundred percent. Like that, that if you can get your hands on that, get it. Uh, it's, um, it's like a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's what I've and I yeah, bought that crazy. thing. 
I bought that thing, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago at a coach's clinic and I was like 40 bucks. And I'm telling you, I haven't worn the pages out. That's probably my second favorite one. And then, uh, and this isn't the traditional answer. I mean, I could give you legacy. I mean, legacy is an amazing book. Um, but I, I have a Don Meyer system book. Um, Don Meyer to me might be the greatest coach that ever walked the planet. Uh, he was the basketball coach at Lipscomb for a really long time. Um, just a tremendous coach, but um, I, I have a system book. So in my desk, there's there's three or four things that that I keep in a very uh, in inside a case. It's my Bill Walsh book. It's my Good to Great book, and it's my my Don Meyer system book, which I think is amazing. And then, um, you know, anything anything that Nick Saban puts out, uh, I, I'm I'm. And you know, one of the things that I do, one of the things you talked about, your question you asked me was personal growth and. One of the things that I do that has become very impactful to me is I have a Google alert for about 25 or 30 different coaches, leaders. Um, I've really kind of lately been studying artists and musicians. Um, by the way, I was in the pit at Metallica two weeks ago. Mm. Uh, the bass player got some sweat on me. I was that close to him. <laughs> but, um, I, the Google alerts pop every morning, and then it just gives me like – all the news articles that were written by that particular person that day, I scan it very briefly um, because I can get great content. There was a great sure. article today on Sean Payton, for instance, Seth Wickersham wrote. It was a long read article. So I've, I've kind of gotten more into reading long form stories than so much books. Uh, Brian Kane introduced me to Optimize, which is pretty cool. It's basically like a condensed book thing. Um, but the Google alerts are really big for me. And then, the other thing that I read a lot is I get so much stuff from Twitter. Um, you know, Twitter is good and bad. Um, I, I don't, you know, these coaches on here are trying to, sure. I mean, it's, it's so stupid trying to argue these points and I, I don't get into all that. And, you know, if I don't, if I wouldn't take your advice, I'm not going to take your opinion. So if people have stupid things to say, I just brush it off my shoulders, but I find so many great things on Twitter, a lot of videos on Twitter. So I'll email it to myself and then I have a folder on my computer. I'll go in about once a week and I'll cut those videos, drop them in. So I have a coaching culture, base running, hitting. I just drop wow. them in there. I've probably got 10,000 clips and I'll take them and I'll put them on a hard drive about once a year. I do that, that you know, and I know that's not a book. It's probably a non-traditional answer, but um, just any way I can study successful people and learn about successful people. Um, <clears throat> I'm reading a, a book right now about um, Lewis and Clark um, and Thomas Jefferson. You know, it's about a 400 page book. I'm about 100 pages in. But just anything that, you know, I can learn from. But sure. I've gotten to where I try to branch out from just sports a little bit to um, and, and anything I can read to make me better. Um, I need to do more pleasure reading. I don't like doing that very much. I'm trying to, I don't like fiction very much. And Amanda listens to books. I, I don't think that counts. Um, <laughs> she says that counts as reading a book, but I, it's kind of like going to the movies by yourself. I, it's kind of weird to me. So yeah, it's kind of weird, but, but you know, I'm going, I'm going I'm to vouch for her, man. Like the, the content's getting in, you know, like I'm a booker. Yeah. I, I want the hard copy. I don't want to listen, but. You know, I will listen if I'm traveling or something like that. Hey, what about a, a one I'm going to give you? Tell me if you've read this because it was it was a really good read um, when you were talking about articles and things that are sent your way. Have you read um, I'm Not Your Lone Wolf uh, by Urban Meyer? Yes. 
Unbelievable. Did it's you really watch good, Swamp? You know? Like I, I interviewed yep. uh, Tim Kite, who was, you know, their leadership coach at Ohio yeah, State. right there with him, yep. He yep. gave me that to read, and I thought it was really good because, you know, and that was kind of my question, you know, about the getting out, getting in. Like, you know, if you if you are a passionate coach, it, it gets hard, you know. Like, it gets hard how you drive yourself. And it's not the expectations of – necessarily everybody else is the expectations that you place on yourself you know is, is I, I didn't want to I, I didn't want to let people down you know right. and and especially the jobs where I went they I, I was paid well I didn't teach right um I was treated you know like a college coach and they invested a lot in me so I never wanted to let those people down but I'll tell you this man I, I've had two um things that happened in my life that really shaped me gave me perspective but I had a player die and uh when you have something like that happen it sure. it, it it changes you man and I also lost one of my best friends my cousin died in a helicopter crash and I think those two things really shaped me and, and who I am and you realized pretty quick that um there is a thing called perspective and and that the relationships in this business are, are what you're going to talk about you know, one of my mentors just passed away a couple of days ago, Doug Shanks, who um, now I'm still heartbroken. I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a mess. I'm a mess right now because his funerals. I'm coming to Jackson on on Monday for his funeral. But, um, you know, I was looking at his record and the last several years he coached, his record was pretty bad. Um, but nobody's talking about that right now. They're right. not talking about the wins and the losses. They're sure. talking about the relationships and the way he impacted lives of people. So. I really knew I was in a bad spot. We were sitting at uh, the Capitol Grill one night. We had just won our third state championship in a row. That team had won 105 games in three years, and I was miserable. Um, I was miserable, and I was glad it was over because I just felt like if we were lost, and I would have let all these people down. And yeah. you know, I, I and then I realized, man, what I missed was the the journey, the day to day process with everybody. Now, don't get me wrong, man. I I, I still like to win, and. I'm all about the process, but uh, winning still matters. You know, we, we have people to talk like winning doesn't matter. Winning still matters, and we still need to talk about winning. I, I, I think we've kind of gotten away from that sometimes in the coaching world, so don't right. get me wrong, but it, but it is more about the relationships along the way, and, the, and, and I cherish those. And, and so I, I think that's kind of changed my perspective a little bit. And when I was watching that Swamp Boys thing with, with, with Urban, it just yep. – Man, you could just see like, do you realize how many times he said we had to win this game? We have to win this game, right. and that's a. I've been there before. It's a miserable sure. place to be. Sure, yeah. you know that was. Uh, somebody asked Nick Saban the question this year at the clinic, and he was, you know, a guy sitting on the front row, just honestly could be. He said, "Coach, I got a question. You know, like honestly, you got all the <laughs> you need. You know, like you got everything that you know a man would want. Like, why do you still coach? You know, like why do you, you know, and." And he can't help it. You know what I mean? Like he cannot yeah. help it. He absolutely yeah. identifies as a person that, you know, will compete as a football coach for the rest of his life, probably. The rest of his life. I, I heard him say uh he, he hasn't not been a part of the team since he was eight years old. Sure. And I think it scares him to but uh yeah, I've studied him. I've probably studied him more than anybody. Sure. Um he's a guy that that that's just um pr pretty amazing what he does. No doubt. All right, last question. Yep. What makes Chuck Box happy? Oh man, there's uh, 
I, I think um, for me, that's a great question, John. I, I think what makes me happy is my family. Um, and I know that's the answer everybody gives, but, you know, I've been married to Amanda for 33 years and um, we joke the things that used to irritate me about her. I think they're cute now, sure. uh, <laughs> but she's become, and I wish I would have done this earlier in my coaching career. She's become a part of my team. Like she's, she's like another coach for me and I draw on her expertise all the time. But I think my, my, my family, um, I think being around um, people that give me energy makes me happy. Successful people make me happy. Um, I don't have any hobbies. I, I hate golf. Um, I'd rather weed eat than play golf. <laughs> I, I don't hunt. I don't fish. I, I love to coach. And, I think the other thing that makes me happy is being around our players, man. I just uh, – like I look forward to seeing those guys every day. One of the things that I've learned in the SEC, being a coach in the SEC West, which is really the big leagues of, of college baseball, I, th I think I've learned that I have so much respect for our players and how hard this is to do. And I get so frustrated with people, fans that, that, that come at our guys because they just don't understand that. Sure. that, that so I think being around those guys makes me incredibly happy. Um, a well-pitched game makes me incredibly happy. Um, when the Aggies win and don't walk people, that sure. makes me happy. Um, but I think for me, it's just, it's my family and the times that we can share together. I love to travel. We travel a lot. Um, that makes me happy, but uh, I just think being around people I love is, is what probably makes me the happiest and to know and, and to know that um, people love me, you know, and care about me. I think that that's something that uh, I've been very fortunate. Um, you'll find a lot of people out there that don't like me, but I do have a lot of people that care about me and I feel that love and that, that makes me really happy. Talking to people like you makes me happy and um, talking about coaching and leadership that makes me happy. So I'm generally a happy person. I don't, I don't, I was really kind of disappointed because I thought you were going to say like being in the pit at Metallica. Like I would imagine that was that legit. Happy. That was uh that was legit. And uh, I tell you what makes me happy Saturday morning, cup of coffee, college game day. Oh, not leaving, yeah. not, not leaving my house all day. Like I'm so fired up because yes. uh, we, we got a watch party. We're going to watch the Aggies uh, play at two 30 and then I'm going to watch Texas, Alabama. And so I'm yep. pretty fired up about that. But uh yeah. I don't know, man. I just life makes me happy. I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, one of the things I do every morning, John. I get up. I got a little journal. I don't do it every morning. I try to, and I'm like everybody. I start sure. off the year super consistent, and and I quit. But I write down three things I'm grateful for every morning, and uh, you know, I just uh, I could write a lot more, but man, I've I've got a lot to be grateful for. That's a life changing habit, you know that that programs one to be grateful when bad things happen, you know, like I can, I can, because I've done that for so long when something bad happens, yep. I can stop myself pretty quick and, you know, think about what I'm grateful for. Okay. One more question. I lied. This is the last yep. one. Yep. No, we're good. I'm you good. Two, you got two kids that are out of the house. You still got Miss Hazel in the house. You know, they say more things are caught rather than taught. What do you <laughs> want little Miss Hazel to catch from you? I think the number one thing I want from her is to understand that kindness wins. Mm. Um, the world that we're in today, it's just, it's, it'll, it's just so much toxicity and sure. so much hate. And, you know, the, 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 the prayer for her that I pray pretty frequently is for her to, to treat 
other people with kindness and especially the people, the kids that are on the margins, the kids that, uh, you know, maybe not the popular kid or, and I've told her some stories about some instances in my life when I probably didn't do that as well as I should have. So I think I really, I think that's the number one thing. And then I think the the next thing is I just, I want her to catch how much she's loved, um, how much her, her mom and dad love her. And then, you know, the, the, do I model that behavior, uh, the way I treat Amanda. So I, I think if I can do those two things, maybe teach her some work ethic, which we're struggling with that one a little bit right now. Um, you know, and all are. She, yeah, she's basically an only child because she's got sure. older siblings. But to me, if I could just teach her the, to, 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 to love others and be kind and that she's loved. Um, and then, you know, the thing, John, that I've that I've always told my kids and I, and I mean, I've told my older two, they're 27, and 24. There's two things I can promise you. Two things. One, you're going to face adversity. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like. And, and try to prepare them for that. And the second thing is, I'm always going to love you. Yeah. You're going to face adversity. I'm going to love you. You can't do anything. You can't right. do anything. And, and and that's been tried a couple of times yeah. <laughs> with our children. I'm, I'm always going to love you. And that's yeah. unconditional. I don't care what you do. So if I can teach her those two things too, um, you know, and <clears throat> then, then, you know, a couple of funny things. I, I taught Isabel how to throw a football, um, how to drink whiskey. And a couple other things I can't mention on the on the deal. If I could teach them those things, maybe that's good too. Matt sure. is going to kill me for saying that, but no, just just kidding on those two. <laughs> Understood. Well, Chuck, man, it has been outstanding. I'm uh, thoroughly appreciative of you taking the time, man. Um, I miss hanging out with you guys. I miss seeing you at church, but I love pulling for you and, and your family. And I get to see Amanda these days more than I get to see you because she spends time in yep. Nixa teaching us how we to checked the, we, we checked the Nixa scores every Friday night, buddy, every no doubt, Friday man. night. And hopefully yep. they're going to continue to be pretty good for a while, but I appreciate it, man. I appreciate everybody that has listened to this. I appreciate you being a part of it. Um, you know, if you like it, share it. And I will put his email in the show notes so you can get, the uh slc success leaves clues deal or anything else that you know he may want to share with you chuck man i appreciate it everybody listening until next time adios amigos